Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Uh, today's program is uh, brought to you by the support of our listeners, and I especially want to thank Mark and Daniel for their support. And I'll send access to the premium site, as I do with all donations of $7 or more. And you can support the show at support.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for the final part of the Meg's Palace matter, and then uh, coming up later we'll have an episode of Manhunt. So here now, though, is Meg's, the Meg's Palace matter, part five. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Chief Walters, Barnesboro Police. You call me? Oh, yeah, Chief. I understand you're out at Sally Button's place on the edge of town. What can I do for you? Better get out of here, Chief, fast. Oh? Yeah, to pick up a body. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Card Harbor, Massachusetts, to the Intercoastal Maritime and Life Insurance Company, Boston. Assignment, the Meg's Palace matter. Report and expense account continued. Whoever shot young Charlie Buttons there at his sister's home in Barnesboro had disappeared down the gravel road in a cloud of dust. Hence the call to the police. Chief Walters was in his late 30s and definitely on the ball. He made a quick call to the coroner, and then in his car, we took off for Cod Harbor. We've pretty much left him alone over there in Cod Harbor, Mr. Dollar, and so far they've always managed to keep the peace. This time... Yeah. Now listen, Chief, and I'll give it to you fast. Yes, do that. Meg McCarthy got some threats to burn her place down, notified the insurance company they sent me out. Understandable. First night there, I spotted a prowler around the cafe, but before I could get to him, somebody slugged me from behind. You didn't know who? Not then, but the prowler turned out to be Tim Beasley, your, well, your deputy over there, I guess you'd call him. Uh, sort of, you know, self-appointed, lazy lout. But didn't he know who slugged you? He said not. It was Meg herself there. She has a powerful right, Dollar. Yeah, I thought of that, too, but let me go on now. The next morning, I went out on the Lily Ann, got tossed overboard. And believe me, Chief, the propeller on one of those boats isn't much fun to tangle with. Yes, Dr. Champion told me he'd had to go over to fix you up. Yeah. Anyhow, I was sure that whoever was after me was a member of that crew. Had to be. I see. When I came to back at Meg's, I had visitors. The crew, loaded with sympathy. The crew, that is, except for Charlie Buttons. And that's why you traced him to his sister's house? Uh-huh. And, Chief, he confessed. Then I don't understand. But he said he was forced to do those things by somebody who knew of his criminal record and was holding it over his head. Criminal record? Charlie Buttons? Yeah, it seems he killed a man once when he was just a kid. The point is, this other person threatened to expose Charlie unless Charlie did his bidding. So Charlie, not being very bright, didn't think he had a chance. You find out who this other person is? No. That's when somebody shoved a gun through the window and back him. He shot him, then took off in the proverbial cloud of dust. Hmm. 
How are you doing on suspects? Oh, brother, too many. Make, of course, named her rivals in the cafe business right from the beginning. Well, I wouldn't count them very good suspects. Uh, and there's Captain Billy Morgan, her intended husband. <laughs> what a pair. And if I know Captain Billy, he was just scrounging a lot of free meals. Say, incidentally, I saw him in Barnesburg just before you called. Yeah? Well, Captain Billy is beneficiary of Meg's life policy. And he still owes a lot of dough on the Lillian, I understand. Hmm. Who else? Tim Beasley. What? Yeah. Look, Dollar, I know he's a good-for-nothing bum who's taken that job of acting mayor, acting police chief, acting everything else so he can live off the fat of the land over there. But... Did you also know that Clem Harris, who runs the other big cafe, is his cousin? His cousin, huh? Oh, and Beasley never kept his promise to dig up the threatening notes Meg received and compare them with the handwriting of the others. Doesn't look good, does it? What do you think, Chief? I'm beginning to wonder if Tim Beasley will be there when we get to Cod Harbor. As it turned out, Tim Beasley was very much in evidence. So was the whole population of Cod Harbor. For as the lights of the little fishing village slowly hove into view, I saw another light down by the waterfront, a rather a big reddish glow. And as we pulled in closer, we could see the long tongues of flame leaping upward that caused it. Yep, Meg's palace was on fire. Chief Walters stepped on it. We took the last few turns on two wheels. Hoses of all sorts and shapes and sizes connected to pumps aboard the nearby fishing boats were throwing powerful streams of water at Meg's palace, at the back where the fire had apparently started. But the flames continued to spread, even licking along the ground behind the building. That means arson, Johnny. Oil and gasoline spreading around back there. No doubt of it, Chief. How'd it start, Captain Billy? Who knows? We grab a hose and get to work. Get some hose off one of them boats. Montgomery, you crazy boy. Captain Billy Morgan was running the show, and every one of my prize suspects was in there working his head off. All of them taking orders from Captain Billy. And then I realized that Mike McCarthy was nowhere around, and I noticed something else. All the firefighting was directed toward the back of the building. The front, thanks to the wind, was untouched. But that's where Mick McCarthy's room was. Chief! Chief Wallace! Hey, Johnny, where are you going? Come on, Chief, give me a hand. What? See that window up there? Well, I'm going to climb up on the front roof of the place. You'll burn to a crisp up there. Got to take that chance, because I think I can blow this whole case wide open. Now, clench your hands so I can step on them and hoist me up. But even right here, the heat is too Come on, man, quick, come on. Okay, Johnny, but I think you're crazy. Here you are. Now, up. Here you go. The heat was almost unbearable up on that roof. I knew I had to do it. I crawled low along the shingles, hoping the rotten old roof would hold. A withering blast that felt like fire itself hit me full in the face as I broke the window of Meg's room. And there she lay, stretched out, unconscious on her bed. There was an ugly, livid mark across her forehead where somebody had struck her down, then left her there at the mercy of the fire. Johnny! Valerie, all right? The searing heat seemed to press in on me and engulf me. And the open window gave a draft to the flames that were already licking at the sides of the open door. Somehow I managed to wrap a blanket around Meg, covering her face and staggered to the window, blindly groping for it. Johnny! This way, the window! Keep that hose on us here! All right, Johnny. You're all right now, I got you. It's all right, boy. All right. It's all right, Johnny boy. 
Outside of having your hair singed and losing a suit of clothes, you're all okay. Well, thank goodness you are, Meg. But tell me... Oh, now take it easy. You got a bad burn on that left arm and you got to lie still. Yeah, And would Meg. you believe it, that it was Clem Harris, the one I always thought was such an old good blatherskite that give us each a place to stay here at this house. I wondered where I was when I came to a few minutes ago. I guess I misjudged the man. But how about you, Maggie? Oh, bless you, darling. You saved me life, and I'll never forget it. May the good Lord strike me down. If it hadn't been for you. Oh, think of it, Johnny. Boy, I'd be laying still in that pile of ashes out there that was once to me a nice cafe. I love you, Johnny. Boy, and I'm humble and I'm grateful. Meg, that mark on your head. Oh, the dirty, blathering spalpeen who snuck up in my room and knocked me down and left me there. I'll murderize him when I find him, that dirty cunning. You don't know who it was? How could I when he snuck up from behind me? Oh, Chief Ward, just come in, sir, come in. Well, I must say, you two look pretty good, considering. Ready for a visitor, Johnny? Yeah, hi, Chief. Bring him in. Oh, now, Johnny, are you sure you want visitors until you're feeling better? Bring him in, boys. Right in here. Come on. Ah, uh, stop your push on. Come on, get Why, Billy boy. What's the matter with you, Willie? That look on your face. Oh, and you, Chief Waters. What was the idea of locking up my Willie boy like some dirty scoundrel of a crook when he tried so hard to save my cafe from that awful fire? Who do you think you All are? All right, Meg, simmer down. Don't simmer you talk down. to me like that, you young Meg. whisker snap. Yes, darling. Well, I won't simmer down. What was the big idea arresting me that way? Who do you think you are around here? And I'm talking to you, Dollar. You went too far, Captain Billy. I went too far. You're off your course. What are you talking about? Yes, Johnny boy. If you was responsible... Quiet, Meg. Uh, Yes, sir. I'm talking about arson, Captain Billy. And murder. And the motives behind them. What? Motives. They were all over the place by half a dozen people. But yours was the strongest. By far. You're off your head. The 25,000 insurance on Meg's life. That was the Why, you... One. Let me out of No, just a minute. You take oh, your hand off Take it easy, Meg, or I'll have to order you out. But listen to what he's saying. Is that Captain Quiet. Billy was... Quiet, Yeah, let me finish this, will you, Meg? Played lover boy to her, didn't you, Captain Billy? To make sure you'd be her beneficiary. You're crazy, you dirty... It looked like you right from the first, but I couldn't be sure until I compared the writing on the threatening letters with some of your handwriting I found. Oh, no. So that's the way you found out, you dirty underhanded... Yeah, Captain, that's right, threatening letters. To make it look like somebody else was out to get her, her competitors, for instance... And to leave the way clear for you. Willie, boy. No, no, I didn't. I, I mean, I didn't mean to. Oh, but... no, Willie. Tell me it ain't true. Don't touch me. Oh. Why, Billy? Why'd you do it? I had to. I had to have the money or I'd lose my... What? Pocket. You mean your boat was more to you Go than... on, Billy, and quiet, Mag. Fishing. Fishing was my whole life. I had to save my boat. I had to get the money for it. How else could you I ever... You rotten... No, 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 Maybe I'll move to someplace else and open up. I wouldn't have the heart to here. Cod Harbor, it'd be too. It was here that I met him and I believed him. And Well, I guess this old heart of mine wasn't as tough as I thought it was. Yeah. I'm sorry, Maggie. I'll get over it. 
Sure I will. Meg McCarthy, Johnny Dollar. No bladder and idiot of a man is going to keep Meg McCarthy down. That's the You story. hear me? No man on this whole earth is worth it. They're all of them just a bunch of no good too tight. Oh, no. No, Johnny boy, not you. If only there was more of the likes of you in the world. I love you, Johnny boy. And if I were a bit younger and maybe pretty... Johnny. Yeah? Now tell me, where did you ever get the threat letters you compared the writing of? I'd have swore that I destroyed them, every one. <laughs> know something, Meg? I didn't. Huh? I never saw them. Never saw a sample of Captain Billy Morgan's writing either. You mean you... Oh, no. Huh? Well, it worked, didn't it? Aye. And it serves that conniving, murder, and blather scoiting... Johnny, I'm afraid I really did love him. <laughs> yeah, it had been a long shot, and thank goodness it had paid off. The courts will take care of Captain Billy. The insurance on her place, of course, will have to be paid to Bank McCarthy, but no life insurance, thank heaven. Oh, poor Meg. It'll be a long, long time before she'll fall for sweet talk again. Expense account totaled, including fare and incidentals, back to Hartford, two twenty-one sixty. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week? Well, they say that diamonds are a girl's best friend. But I wonder, when they're a motive for murder, join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote this week's story. Heard in our cast were Virginia Gregg, Jack Crucian, Byron Kane, Forrest Lewis, Burt Holland, Stan Jones, Bob Bruce, Austin Green, and Harry Bartell. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino and Carl Fortina. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. Well, um, Johnny is, uh, is has been bluffing the last couple weeks uh, worse than a poker player. There's nothing but a pair of twos.
uh, this wasn't this was an episode just you know I, I think for the performance of Virginia Gregg, which really made it work, and I, I think that uh, she really brought a lot of spirit and a nice amount of emotion without going over the top at the end that really made you feel for her, for the obvious heartbreak that this whole situation meant. Well, now on to some listener comments and feedback. Uh, this comes from um, Marshall, who I'm sorry I did not mention at the start of the show, also uh, support the show, so thanks so much for the donation. But Marshall writes, um, uh Thank you for all the great work you do on your podcast, including your commentary. I've been listening for about three years. Johnny Dollar is my favorite. The stories are usually very good and gripping, and for some reason, the acting seems far better than on any other detective show I've heard. In fact, the only other uh, old-time radio series that is even close to acting in Johnny Doll uh, is Gunsmoke. Uh, Candy Matson was my second favorite show that you podcasted, but obviously was a different kind of show with a different level of acting. Uh, yes, definitely different. Um, I would comment before I get into his two questions, probably one big uh, similarity between Johnny Dollar and Gunsmoke uh, at this point is the the number of programs that radio actors could perform in had dropped greatly. Uh, so you always had, uh, uh, available to you some, just an amazing array of talent that you wouldn't necessarily all have because, uh, in say the not, uh, late forties, early fifties, when so many detective shows were so strong. So I think that is one reason why the acting is better. Um, I have two qu questions, he says, about Johnny Dollar. The announcer used to be Roy Rowan, I, be um, I believe, but someone else took over recently. Do you have any idea what happened? It's taking a while to get used to the new person. Well, as we've heard this week, Roy Rowan is um, is back. It's probably a vacation coming as it did um, in the summertime. Um, Roy Rowan does stay on for most of the rest of the serial era, but leaves pretty quickly once the show goes to uh, weekly, so, uh, from what I've read on Radio Gold Index. I've not listened too far ahead in terms of uh, weekly programs. He also says, I've... I've always found it interesting that almost nothing is ever said about how Johnny gets paid. Certainly each episode has to be centered on the expense account, but it seems odd that the fees he gets are never mentioned. There are two exceptions that I remember. In a recent episode, a person he was investigating missing Johnny could get a large fee, and a far earlier episode talked about him getting a percentage of the items he recovered. I can imagine that those would be normal ways for an investigator paid have the assurance company... Uh, need pay on an hourly basis, have the insurance company pay a fat fee, and have the insurance company pay a percentage um, of the monetary value of the items he recovers. Do you have any thoughts on what he has been, what he said about the money he gets? Well, you're right, it has been kind of um, all over the board. Um, I think that some of this may be because Johnny is a freelance insurance investigator. And so different companies may also have different policies about how they pay their investigators. Plus, there have been some cases where they felt that there's some additional difficulties or some reason they really need Johnny Dollar on this particular case, and they're willing to go beyond his usual fee. So I think that the fact that 
I think that the fact that there are a variety of uh, insurance uh, cases he works, plus there was one, the fir- very first episode we heard in the serial era, the McCormick matter, uh, that one he was uh, kind of going uh, going on a, on a hunch, and then he got permission from the insurance company to submit a, an expense account. So that would be the reason, I would assume. Then we had a comment on Facebook. I've been a fan of old-time radio for 30 years. I love uh, Bob Bailey's Johnny Dollar, but my favorite program is Richard Diamond. Oh, and I forgot uh, Sherlock's Holmes with only the duo of Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce on radio. They are the best. Well, we've done uh, Rathbone and Bruce already. Uh, they were actually one of the first uh, programs that we did. I think we got to them in December '09 and ran through their whole series. And, of course, uh, Richard Diamond is just a couple years away, and we did play a preview show um, a few weeks back. Um, he also said, ask, is there any uh, documentary on how they do a radio drama that we can see? I've always had an interest to see how they were done. Well, I'm not aware of a good example right off the top of my head. There is a radio program that I uh, recommend if you're curious about how radio was made. Uh, and that's uh, it's called Behind the Mic. Uh, it's available at archive.org. And it's just a great series taking a look at how uh, the golden age of radio programs were made. So that would be my recommendation on that. And uh, as I look here at my other comments, none other are specifically Johnny Dollar related. Uh, so we will go ahead and take a listen to uh, today's episode of Manhunt. This one is the magazine murder. And let's go ahead and take a listen. Manhunt. The clue of the magazine murder that led to Manhunt. No crime has been committed yet. No murder has been done yet. No manhunt has begun yet. I must have a sense of humor. I've got to nurse you and make you well so you can marry some other girl. Oh, we've gone all over this before, Mary. Things just didn't work out between you and me, that's all. That's all. That's everything, George. Couldn't we? No, Mary, we couldn't. Now, please wheel me over to the window. I can put my typewriter on the sill and work there. All right. That what you want? Yeah, thanks, Mary. Final installment on my murder mystery is overdue at Popular Magazine. It's got to be done today. I had to get to it, that is. I was thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Nothing. You, um, want me to read you the last lines of the installment that's been published? Yes, will you please? Why not? A huge hospital was silent, except for the ominous sound of the approaching footsteps. Was it the murderer coming back to make sure of his work? All at once, he knew who the killer was and knew that he himself was to be the next victim. He reached for the telephone and... to be continued next month. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. I'll take it from there. Excuse me, the police hurry. This is an emergency. Hurry. The doorknob turned slowly 
and fiction have paired off in a deadly parallel. A writer of murder mysteries lies dead, shot by an unseen player. Who will take the role of the storybook detective? Who will start the manhunt? Manhunt and the clue of the magazine murder. Well, Father, a busy man, Pat. Gotta get this new fingerprint fluid to work. If it does, all we have to do is pour some of it on. Hey, and... Stephen, if you don't forget you're a police laboratory expert, why I'll. Hey, oh, nice busting in, Bill. Didn't you notice the sign on the door says private? Private, he says. I don't believe in signs on doors. Yes, I can believe that. The one on your door says detective. Hmm. Hey, Drew, what do you know about a guy named George Winston Kirk? A uh, writer, I think. You think? He's the best, hmm? Kirk's the fellow who's writing that sensational murder serial in popular magazine. What about him? He isn't writing it anymore. He's dead. What? He's sitting in front of the window in his hospital room. He's been sick. And he got an attack of lead poisoning from a bullet in his head. Anybody in the room? Yeah, his nurse. My next romance, by the way. And the gun. The nurse claims somebody outside the window fired the shot and threw the gun in the room. Ground floor room, huh? You gonna grab the nurse? Grab the nurse, he says. Sure, she did it. Why shouldn't I grab her? I want in on this case, Bill. I want in, he says. You get out. I'm going up to General Hospital and get that nurse. I'll bring the gun back to you for a fingerprint check. What am I supposed to do in the meantime? Uh, hold your secretary's hand. Hmm? The one she ought to be slugging you with. I punish him enough by just sitting around. I'm going with you, Bill. Do me a favor and try. I'm sick of having you under my feet when I'm on a murder case. Please try. Or I'll have an excuse to conk you one. Physical superiority and mental deficiency are generally allied, Bill. Sure they are. And I'm plenty strong. Now stick here, here. Okay. But I hope Kirk wasn't killed in the mental delinquent ward at General Hospital. They'd never let you out. So long. Oh. So long, Bill. Well, it looks like something exciting around here, finally. What about me? I'd rather have a murder. Oh. Say, Pat, are you reading the George Winston Kirk murder mystery in popular magazine? Sure, who isn't? Final installment is doing the next issue, isn't it? The murderer gets himself good and unmasked, then. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've got an idea. Give me that phone, will you, Pat? Sure, sure. Yes, sir? Operator, will you get me the editor of Popular Magazine, please? Yes, sir. I'll hold it. Say, Pat, you remember that in the Kirk story, one of the murderer's victims didn't die? Well, sure, I remember. He got a look at the murderer, but he couldn't be questioned. Um, I don't know, too shocked or something. That's right. They took him to a hospital. And at the end of the installment in the current popular magazine, he was about to call the police. Hello? Hello, this is Drew Stevens' police laboratory. Who is this, please? My name's Cobb, George Cobb, editor of Popular Magazine. Oh, Mr. Cobb, I'm calling to find out how the George Winston Kirk story in your magazine turns out. I'd like to know myself. I've held up the magazine for a week until Kirk was well enough to write the final installment, but apparently he never got to it. Sorry, I can't help you. Okay, thanks just the same. It's all right. I'm going down to the hospital now to see if Kirk left any notes lying around. I'll let you know if I find anything. Thanks. Goodbye. Draw a blank, too. Oh, it sounded that way, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Listen, Pat. Get this coincidence. The guy in Kirk's story is killed in the hospital is about to name a murderer. Then the author is killed in the hospital as he's about to write the story. Hold on, Drew. How do you know the fellow in Kirk's story was going to be killed? The chapter ends with just the doorknob turning. Oh, what else could it be, Pat? The guy was about to phone the police when, bang, the murderer gets him. 
little corny, but nice and dramatic. You're right, of course, as usual. Mm-hmm. Now, look. If there is some connection between the actual killing of Kirk and what happened in his story, we might have a lead. Well, we've got a lead, the nurse. Oh, I doubt very much that she's guilty. No, we've got one of our cute cases, Pat. No kidding. All right. Well, what do we do about it? Well, you check all the unsolved crimes in the police record. Mm-hmm. Go back 15 years if you have to. See if any actual series of murders was anything like the one Kurt described in his story. Maybe Kurt was too close to the truth. Okay, Drew, I'll do it. Where'll I reach you? You come back here and I'll phone you. I'm going to the hospital to take care of Bill Morton's health. I just remembered that in Kurt's magazine story, one of the last people murdered was the detective sergeant investigating the case. I keep telling you there were no papers, Mr. Cobb. Go on back to your magazine. I'll call you if anything turns up. But, Sergeant Morton, if there are notes, I can still hire another writer to complete Kirk's story. Don't you understand? We've got to go to press. I don't care where you got to go. As long as it's out of here. Take the back door. I got witnesses waiting out in the hall. Somebody must have seen that nurse with a gun. All right, but I'll be around the hospital here somewhere if you hear anything. All right, all right. Goodbye. Send the next one in. Okay. Next. That's me, Bill. That's me, he says. Get out of here, Drew. I'm busy. Now, listen, Bill. Reporters are pestering you, aren't they? No. I just found something. Don't say anything about the nurse. Didn't this story. Hmm? Say that I found George Winston Kirk's notes on the final chapter of his mystery, that I'm in the room in which he was murdered, and that I'll be there all night working on him. You got that? Yeah, I got it. Where are the notes? They'll have them in the morning. But see to it that the papers get that story right away. You want the newspapers... To print the fact that you found those notes on Kirk's final installment. Yes, I sure do, Bill. Now, as soon as Pat arrives here, I'm taking a chance on catching the murderer on what might be called the installment plan. Hey, you ought to keep this door locked. Why, Pat? What should happen to me? Look, Drew, I love you, and sometimes I feel like killing you. This room isn't healthy. It's the room in which Kirk was killed. Here. There's the button you want it in your laboratory. Colonium compound. Mm-hmm. Good. Now, what did you find out in your check of the police file? You must be psychic or something. Ten years ago, there was a string of actual murders just like the ones Kirk was describing in the story. And the murderer escaped. Ah, better and better. Now, Pat, take this gun and that chair and go sit behind the screen over there. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting a visitor. I want you to keep him covered when and if he comes. It may be ours. Can you take it? You know me. Yes, that's why I asked the question. All right, now, get behind that screen. It may show any minute. But you and I and this bottle of colonium compound are going to out tomorrow. Put your hands up, you. Easy with that gun, stranger. I'm a police officer. Never mind what you are. What are those papers in your hand? The notes on the final chapter in the Kirk murder mystery? Oh, yes, but we're standing pat on them. I said we're standing pat. Hand them over. Come on, now. All right, as long as you don't pat me over the head with that gun. I said as long... Give me those papers. That's better. Hmm. All this trouble for nothing. Nothing here. Now you. You want to stay healthy, don't move for five minutes after I leave here. Understand? Pat. Hmm? Pat. Wake up. The murderer of George Winston Kirk just paid us a visit while you were asleep. Oh, I couldn't help it, though. I was so tired, I just... I know, I know. You couldn't keep your eyes open. Well, keep them open now. Run out in the hall. All right. But who was the visitor you had? I don't know. He wore a mask. 
But I think we can find out. Come on. Uh, turn out the car to light. But they're very good now. Why turn them on? We do it, Pat. This is okay. Okay. Here. Hey. Hey, look at the floor. It's full of footprints glowing in the dark. Quiet. Leave this way. Hey, what's going on there? Come here, Bill. Quick. who murdered a dozen people ten years ago killed George Vincent Kirk early today. Kirk had gone to the files apparently for authentic police cases to write about and he hit on one in which the murderer was never caught. What about it? You see, when he read Kirk's story he believed that Kirk knew his identity. And maybe he did. What he wanted to do was prevent the last installment of the mystery story from being written. So when the papers announced that Drew had the notes which he wrote himself, by the way, the murderer had to get them. So he paid us a visit. See these footprints on the floor? They were made by my visitor. Yeah, I'd sprinkle chlorian compound on the floor. That's another name for radium death that luminous paint on And he stepped in it. And left tracks on this part. Well, we're calling the footsteps now. I'm with you. They lead to a door down this floor. Right. This way. This door. Going back, Pat. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Open it. Okay, hold it. We got... Say, Drew, you're nuts about the whole thing. This isn't Kirk's murderer. It's his editor, George Cobb. That Kirk's editor and his murderer, Bill, I'd bet on it. And the murderer of a lot of others, too. That's right, isn't it, Cobb? You'll never take me alive. I'll throw you down. Oh, nice slugging, Bill. Hey, look at the bottom of his shoes. He's lying there on the floor. That's how Drew tracked him down. Boy, only a genius like that Drew Stevens could fix it so that a murderer could be seen only when the lights are out. Welcome back. Um, I have to admit, I do like the idea of using the, um, using the paint, uh, to, uh, uh, to do the footprints. Uh, it's kind of a twist on something we've heard on a couple of shows where, uh, where kind of the fluorescent paint is used coming out of the back of a car. Now, whether it would work in this circumstance or be possible to work if you could get it dark enough in there, um, I am not certain, not a chemistry expert, but, uh, certainly welcome to interpretations. Bill just, Wow. I have to admit that Bill is probably next to, um, next to Inspector Hellman on Pat Novak for Hire. Bill is probably the most unlikable, um, official police character that, uh, I've encountered. He basically goes over to the police lab and says, hey, here's an interesting case. And by the way, you cannot come. And then, uh, we do have a comment from, uh, Mark, uh, who says, uh, thanks for getting these shows out. Well, I'm definitely glad to do so. That'll do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for Homicide O'Kane. And then uh, Monday, we will have another Johnny Dollar story. And Friday, another episode of Man Out next week. In the meantime, send your comments, Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.